Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, with the unfortunate passing of Disney legend, Imagineer, Rolly Crump, we decided we will look back on his incredible contributions to Disney and the theme park industry. I think a lot of people have probably heard of his name. There's probably a lot of people who haven't heard of his name. Um, I, I know... You know, we've talked about, we know that he worked on the Haunted Mansion, but I don't really, I didn't really realize before seeing some of the articles written about him, everything he did kind of in the Disney company and his journey. And I think it's really interesting. And some of the stuff he worked on, a lot of the iconic pieces in the Disney theme parks, I wasn't aware of um, that he worked on that I thought it would be a good idea to kind of share some more of his story. And I think it's always interesting to, to hear about you know, the the lives of these Imagineers and really what they did. And especially for Rolly, because he worked with Walt. He was one of the kind of original Mm -hmm. Imagineers there. Um, So it is really interesting to kind of hear his story, because I don't think he also had a probably traditional path for somebody that you think would be a, you know, prolific Imagineer. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to talking about it. And we haven't done one of these like little kind of history podcasts in a while. So you're going to learn something probably. There there was some other Disney news of the week um, that we did want to touch on uh, before we get into that. The first thing I wanted to mention was all the Tron merchandise. So the Tron Light Cycle Power Run is going to be opening the beginning of April. Disney actually also announced that this week it's going to be soft opening for guests because... I mean, it's taken them six years to build this thing, so it makes sense. It's done a little bit early before the grand opening, so it, it seems. Well, it like, was supposed to be done. What wasn't it supposed to be done like last year? Like four years ago, yeah. <laughs> so, so we, you know, we've only been waiting six years for so it. So they're they're early to be late. Exactly. <laughs> um. So they're gonna. It's gonna be soft open to all guests. Uh, the next couple of weeks before it officially grand opens. Um. I believe you're gonna be able to use the virtual queue to actually ride it. So it's basically open, even though it's not the grand opening. I know with soft openings, there is always the risk that it just closes randomly. That's kind of what soft opening means. They kind of use that as hey, it's a technical rehearsal. It may be down at any time. It may be up, maybe down. So you probably have a good chance of being able to ride it if you're down there, but there is the possibility that it, it will go down for some period of time before the grand opening on April 4th. But with that, Disney released some of the merchandise that's going to be around Tron. And it's actually really unique merchandise that they're releasing for this, which I kind of find interesting because Tron as a movie is not like a huge property. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this ride people have really been uh, waiting a while for, and I know it's really popular in Shanghai, but it, it is a f- pretty cool world. And so I think they have some unique merchandise. So obviously they have their t-shirts and stuff, um, but you can get a light up jacket and helmet that's based on the Tron characters from the grid, which is pretty cool. Yeah. The jacket's kind of like a moto jacket, but then it has some like light up detailing on the back. I mean, I'm not really huge on into Tron, but out of all of the merchandise, this is the thing that sticks out to me the most. Yeah, and, and the the jacket looks like you can hold an identity disc on it as well, and they sell those that light up. So they're really, really stylish, kind of futuristic theming with this. The one thing I think is really cool, though, is this new Tron identity program they have where you're going to be able to make a customizable action figure. So it's basically a small... Tron action figure. My understanding of it is they take a a photograph of you and then there's some sort of like screen behind the helmet of the character that makes it look like it's you. The picture of your face is there. So you have your own 
customizable action figure with your face on it. And then these interact and are able to program. They have like little remote control um, light cycle cars, which the uh, action figures can then ride on. And you're able to customize it again, as you customize your action figure, it can customize this remote control light cycle and the identity disc. So it seems like this is probably the, the thing they're trying to sell as kind of mm-hmm. like, hey, you got to buy this uh, because it's customizable to you. It interacts with all the other merchandise that inter- interacts uh, so it's in like cool their, ways. It's like their, their version of the droid or exactly, the yeah. spider bots. Yeah, but, th- but this, is, this is pretty cool. So I, I'm, I'm really interested to see this kind of in person and some of this merchandise, but it, it looks pretty cool. I could definitely see us driving it down the street here. You know, I think that, that little, would be a little fun. light cycle. Yeah. And a little tiny ones. So just drive it down the street. Yeah. <laughs> All the kids in the neighborhood would be like, oh, that looks like fun. Where's your kid? We th- are the kids. <laughs> I think the helmet looks pretty cool. I-, I think it's probably completely impractical to have, though. But the jacket would, would be neat. Uh, and definitely these little action figures. I-, I mean, I think you can make an argument for owning anything. And as you've seen, you know, as, as you have, you have a few helmets now. Yeah. In your collection. So yeah, I can make an argument for it. Exactly. So another, uh, we got a whole kind of like a list of different characters that are going to be either available for meet and greet or just coming into the parks. And so excited, Moana is going to be appearing on the flotillas in Animal Kingdom on April 22nd, which if you know anything, you know that this is International Beagle Day. International Beagle Day. That's not where I thought you were going with that. (laughs) Well, it is also International Jelly Bean Day. Uh, or Earth Day, Earth as Day. most people I know. Think <laughs> I think Earth Day is the big one. I might have added international. I think it might be national, maybe not international, but still, I saw Beagle Day and I was like, well, yeah. I knew Joe well, would be That's excited. a great day. But yeah, Earth Day being the birthday of Animal Kingdom as well, because it opened on Earth Day. So it makes sense. It's an Earth Day birthday. It, it is very good. But I like that. International Beagle Day. I like that one. Yeah. So we'll have to celebrate Loki on that day. Um, also in the fall, Mirabelle will Loki, start Loki, making- our dog, not Loki, the character. If you're listening to this podcast, it might be very confusing. <laughs> we know Loki, the character is not a beagle. Our dog, we have a beagle. Who His is name- named after Loki, His the character. Loki. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's who we're celebrating. Exactly. Um, and then in the fall, Mirabelle is going to start making appearances in Fairytale Garden and Magic Kingdom, which I'm so excited about. Um, excited for them to kind of turn that little area into the casita although i really enjoyed merida yeah it sounds like this is going to be replacing where merida was right next to the castle so it seems like that merida meet and greets going away i don't know if she will then appear somewhere else maybe she'll come in with like the other princesses she's been in the parades before yeah she's in the parades and they have like that that princess meet and greet where the princesses rotate like who's on uh, like who's a, who's there? Who's on retainer? You know, depending on which princess they can convince to come out of. Yeah, the yeah. So like it it, ch- it changes, so you don't know who's going to be there, and it provides you an opportunity. So I don't know if they'll maybe circulate her in through there, uh, but it sounds like yeah, this meet and greet will be taking the place of that one. Right, and then finally later this year, Figment will be at Imagination Pavilion. So I'm really excited. about Yeah, and they this talked well. about this. They've talked about this months ago. I think that they were going to be bringing a Figment meet and greet back to the parks, and so I think it's good that they're mentioning it again. That it's still mm-hmm. happening, and it's not something that's getting cut. You know, Disney also announced some concept art for you know this new reimagination of Epcot and the new Communicore building. 
and figment is predominantly displayed in, in kind of a statue figure in that concept art. So it seems like they're leaning heavily into figment, which is which is great because I love figment. I think he's I, a great part I of just, Epcot. I just wish that they would get rid of his yellow eyes. I wish that they would change the color of his eyeballs. Okay. <laughs> but but I, hopefully hopefully this is a, you know good news where you're going to get a, a figment meet and greet. Figment seems to be kind of playing in the decor of the new Communicore building that we get some sort of announcement for a new Figment attraction that they're going to redo it. Cause I think that's the last piece of this Figment's great. It's great. They're bringing him into the parks more, but he definitely needs an update to that ride. I think that orange bird should show up there too. Just, just throwing that out there. Just kind of like a little character that a lot of people really like. I think orange bird. Yeah, they, needs- could, they should make a little orange bird. I mean, they're doing so much with these animatronics, like that new Judy hops robot that mm. for that they're going to use for meet and greets and stuff that if you haven't seen that, go check out the video. Disney had a presentation at South by Southwest and they had this uh, Judy hops animatronic that could roller skate. And they're saying, Hey, this is going to be kind of the future of meet and greets. But what they're doing with all the animatronics, you could make a orange bird because, or, you know, he's small. So, I mean, obviously the problem is you can't really be hard to do that as some sort of like puppet or something like that, because it is so tiny, but having, uh, some sort of mini animatronic kind of meet and greet. I could see that, that they eventually well, get they, like an orange bird in there. They're doing that with Tinkerbell, are they not? Well, Tinkerbell is like a projection where it, it's like a video of a cast member. So you have can have a live interaction, but yes, yeah, she's Tinkerbell size. So you can come up, you can talk to her and she can interact with you, obviously, because it's a, it's a human person in some sort of projection. But I'm talking of like, hey, have a physical, somebody walking around with an orange bird in their hand. And again, it's just controlled all through robotics. So I definitely think the, the way they're going with this stuff in terms of the technology with the robotics and, and you know, these new giant exoskeleton suits like that they, that they made for the Hulk in his nano suit. I think the next five years, I think there's going to be leaps and bounds ahead in terms of characters in the parks and meet and greets because basically nothing's going to be off limits in a few years with with what they're able to do in terms of technology. So I'm going to be the person that says they have to be careful not to Frankenstein's monster this because I really like the thing that makes character interactions to me special is there is a human behind a lot of these interactions. So even though these these characters are the characters but there's also a human bringing their own unique take on the character so you see all these viral videos online of different characters doing really funny things you had um who was it i can't remember who it was who just stole all the balloons tigger tigger yeah, yeah so that that person obviously that's, really that seemed like though tigger might have gotten in trouble for that because <laughs> that did not seem like that that was a, a scripted thing but yeah i, I mean but, I get that, what you're was, saying. but yeah. that was really really a lovable moment it made me like tigger way more and i doubt very highly disney is like hey this thing went viral this was terrible for us yeah i will say i mean i think you're always going to have you know face characters you're always going to have mickey and minnie and like those characters existing i'm talking about just now they can have almost anything. They can have things again. You can have Judy Hops just roller skating through the land, and it makes it more realistic. Again, you could have something small like an orange bird or like Chuby. Like you're not going to want to meet. <gasps> all right, I'm all in now that you mentioned. Chuby. You're not going to want to. Nobody meet, else wants the Chuby yeah, meet and greet, but, but you're not going to meet like a giant Chuby. You know, it's going to make more sense if you had like some sort of small Chuby. Somebody carrying around a Chuby that could interact with you because he's a you know, he's an animatronic puppetry. You know, you, you can have some sort of like puppetry with it. So 
it can interact with you live. And again, Chuby is the little bird from Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Rail. So if you don't know what that character's name is, because I went and immediately researched it, but and we did an episode on Chuby a while back, but that was uh, that's who we're talking about. Yeah, but I, I definitely think I, I'm pretty excited to see where they're going to go with uh, with all this stuff in the park. So, all right, so let's jump into our main topic today. So the career of Rolly Crump. Again, for those of you who may not be aware, um, Rolly is a Disney legend. He's an Imagineer worked on a ton of famous Disney attractions. And he also worked on a lot of other theme parks. He, one, one thing in his career is he, he left Disney and kept coming back. So yeah. he would leave Disney, go work on, he worked on Bush Gardens. He worked on um, Knott's Berry Farm, some other places. We'll get into that. And then he'd come back to Disney. So his impact isn't felt just in Disney, but kind of across the whole themed entertainment industry. Um, one interesting fact about uh, Rolly is he was we share a birthday yeah so he he was born February 27th 1930 and, and you were also born born in 1930 right not quite a little <laughs> bit after that but but he started uh, at Disney in 1952 in the animation department uh, and he was self-described as the worst artist so he <laughs> he did not uh, think very highly of his artistic skills um, but he worked in animation. He did work on a couple Disney classics. He worked on Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, and Sleeping Beauty. Um, but obviously, animation wasn't his strong suit. It wasn't like he designed any of the characters um, or anything like that. But he had kind of this habit of making propellers and mobiles. Like He was very fascinated with that. And a lot of the stuff that he worked on includes that a lot of his more iconic pieces include kind of propellers and motion and, and mobiles and he would just make them and and have them in the office in the animation department and one of them caught Walt's eye and that's kind of how Walt noticed him and brought him over to Imagineering and he came over to Imagineering in 1959 so he he started after Disneyland started he wasn't there for the beginning of Disneyland the planning of it uh, but he kind of came in a few years after because again he was working in animation and he just kind of liked making these little things you know including around the office and Walt said hey you, you you know it looks like you have a knack for this why don't you come over to Imagineering which is what Walt did with all the original Imagineers he took yeah. all the good people that hey you're you're one of our top animators you're really good at drawing you have a great imagination come draw concept arts for Disneyland yeah. and and you know you're you're good at technically you know building this stuff that we use for you know, the multi-point camera or something like that, come over and help us build stuff over at Disneyland and come do this fun thing. And he kind of pulled people from that. And so he did the same thing with Rolly where he saw he had a talent, he had a knack, he had imagination. He said, why don't you come over and, and help us over here? Yeah. And some of the, like one of the interesting things about that is Rolly was definitely, I mean, we'll get into this in a little bit, but he was like a, a young guy. Like he was not of like Walt's age or even the age of a lot of the other Imagineers. He was like, I think pretty significantly younger and that played a really nice role in how he worked and probably even some of his function within the group of Imagineers. Yeah. I mean, he started, he was 22 when he started at Disney and then when he moved to Imagineering, he was 29. So yeah, he was definitely one of the younger guys. And I, I do think to your point that helped because there's definitely um, stories and and all of this information is pieced together from uh, the numerous articles that have been written about him lately and and articles you know going back to some interviews that he had done in the past and things like that. Um, but I think you know one of the things where 
he kind of talked about it and I think other people have mentioned it whereas yeah he didn't pretend like he knew everything like he kind of went into it and he he was a bit of a straight shooter and he kind of told it how it was and there seemed to be Walt seemed to take to that 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 Roley wasn't trying to perform for Walt so you know I think I saw some some stories and I think that it's interesting to think about that because I don't think it's something I ever thought about. But I mean, when Walt Disney was alive, he was Walt Disney. I mean, he's you know a larger than life uh, persona now, but he was a larger than life persona back then too. Because he was cutting edge. I mean, he was like Steve Jobs of his time. Exactly. So yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like working for like an Elon Musk or like a Steve Jobs, where you know there's something special when you're working for them. So a lot of people are trying to agree and just. Hey, whatever you want, I'll make it happen. I think your idea is great, and they're trying to kind of hitch their ride, you know, to that that larger than life persona. But it sounds like Raleigh didn't necessarily do that. That he kind of, if he disagreed with something, he was kind of open with it. And Walt, I think, appreciated that to a certain extent. And like as the stories kind of go, that the Imagineers in the room, he, Walt would say something, and Walt, it sounded like you know, it might be even like pretty vague. And a lot of times, the other Imagineers wouldn't fully understand, but they'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah," but they had no clue. But Rolly would literally grab Walt's coattails and then be like, "Hey, I don't understand." what you're talking about could you maybe talk to me about it and he he said that like Walt was really great at he would take as long as he needed to clarify to Rolly what it was that he actually expected and needed because they'd say that Walt would come into a meeting and then he'd leave and then they'd spend like a long time discussing what it was exactly that Walt wanted so it seems like Rolly's function in that group then would be to sort of get some of that clarification and he sometimes would get pushed aside because he was the younger guy but he was always able to sort of I think maybe help um, help and play a really great role in the team with just that and um, a really cool quote that we found about Rolly it was from John Horney who was a Disney concept designer and it said that Rolly has a knack for bringing out the best in others trusting their talent he encourages artists to push their creativity to the limits it's a rare creative person who can let others run with the ball and I think that that really says such a such a lot about him as a person because everyone always wants to be the star you want to be recognized for being the best in the room and it sounded like what Rolly was really what he really excelled at is taking a step back, actually just really listening and making himself present, really recognizing in others what great ideas they had to try to elevate those instead of just saying, well, like thinking he needed to be the star, that he needed to be the one in charge and and guiding the ship. So he sounded like he was just really a really great team player. And kind of along that line of of him being a younger Imagineer and maybe being overlooked, but kind of just, just waiting for his moment and things like that. It's interesting with the Haunted Mansion, which is probably the the thing that I think a lot of people know him for because he was so heavily involved in the Haunted Mansion. But, you know, the story goes they were working on the Haunted Mansion. If anybody knows, it, it took a long time for them to open that. But Walt had ideas for the Haunted Mansion at the beginning of Disneyland. And so it was something they worked on for a long time. And there were, you know, they were in a meeting and everybody was pitching their ideas. And it was this really long meeting. They were talking about it. And kind of at the end of it, Walt saw Rolly's 
sketches or something like that and said yeah it was like all behind him in yeah, the corner yeah, like he, all wasn't, to the yeah side. he wasn't actually presenting and he said hey what's what's that stuff uh, and they're like oh that's just something you know Rolly was working on and what was like oh tell me about that and and Rolly pitched it and said hey this is I, I think it was a completely different direction and he actually had it inspired by the 1946 Beauty and the Beast movie which sounds uh, very creepy yeah very different <laughs> where they actually had human arms holding the torches in the castle and so as the beast would walk through the castle the, the torches would move um it was definitely yeah a lot a lot creepier so you know Rolly sketched up uh he called it candle man which was a person with his fingers on fire so he was the candle so kind of like lumiere but as if but if he was just a regular human yeah with, with he he kind of looks like a stick man. Like that, yeah. I saw the the sketches of it. It looks like creepy, like slender man, stick man. But then the ends of the fingers were were like little flames. Right, and uh, and then he also had a chair that talked to you, much like Madame Leota, where it'd be a chair with a projection of a face. So so he had these very different ideas, but Walt liked them and. And Walt, kind of the story goes that, that Walt went home uh, and came back and said, hey, I, I couldn't sleep last night because I kept thinking of these ideas you had. And so Walt said, hey, we're going to do this Museum of the Weird is what it was going to be called. And it wasn't going to be part of the Haunted Mansion. So Rolly had this idea of, of, again, this Museum of Weird, of kind of all these the weirdest things throughout the world would kind of be collected here. And this, this was essentially going to be like the gift shop exit. So it's going to be after the Haunted Mansion, you were going to walk through this. And this is where all of these really unique and kind of creepy uh, effects and, and things were going to be. Yeah. And it, it is super interesting because the reason why Rolly's stuff was in the corner to begin with was the other Imagineers were like, this doesn't really fit in. Like, you know, they kind of dismissed him. And so, and they said, Walt won't like this. So it's kind of interesting because when he got a chance to actually say his piece, um, and then kind of Walt left and he was like, oh, you know, like obviously he didn't like it, but then he came back the next day and said, yeah, I couldn't sleep last night. So like even again, it kind of goes back to the fact that he, he was able, his relationship with Walt was very different and that he was able to kind of give those out of the box ideas because he wasn't trying to necessarily impress Walt or just give Walt what he, what the, he thought that Walt wanted. And that's what made it so good because he wasn't trying to do his creativity but within what Walt wanted he was, he just, was doing just doing his own thing he was doing yeah. him yeah. yeah he was doing his own thing and it just happened to work so kind of kind of continuing with the haunted mansion because again I mean this took years years to do so mm. they were going to do this museum with a weird um then obviously things changed the world's fair came about they kind of dropped the haunted mansion came back to it but he did a lot of work with Yale Gracie who's the other big name imagineer that worked on the haunted mansion and the two of them worked for years trying to create a lot of these illusions. So I think they had a popular mechanics magazine that talked about things like Pepper's Ghost and some of the other illusions. And so they worked for years trying to perfect these. And what was interesting was the Haunted Mansion originally was going to be a walkthrough. And Rolly actually said that he thought it was scarier as a walkthrough attraction because you didn't have the safety of the ride vehicle. Yeah. You were actually in this Haunted Mansion. Things were happening around you. And they were able, it sounded like they had a more intricate illusions one was this like sea captain but the problem was it took two minutes and so you can't do that 
in a ride vehicle where you're, where you're past it in 10 seconds. It worked as a walkthrough. So a lot of these ideas kind of eventually fell away, but some of them were able to stay as, as a ride. But yeah, it's interesting to think that it, it was a scarier attraction as a walkthrough. You know, it's kind of like a fun house or like a haunted house where, yeah, it's, it's very scary because you're immersed in it. The sea captain sounded really interesting in that he kind of would materialize in front of your eyes. It almost sounded like it worked in a similar way as the Pepper's Ghost. I'm not entirely sure. This is how I was imagining it, though. But you would see him a little bit at a time. He would materialize in front of you. He was like this big, creepy guy that was covered in seaweed and then there was a shower over yeah, him that made wet. him look yeah, like he I was consistently that, right, wet right. but then the story behind him was that he before he went off to sea he killed his wife and then when he we, came we killed her and then and then he, build he, her into the fireplace he, he cast up a montiato her so yeah. edgar Allan poe just i'm sure that that is where they probably got the She's idea in the wall in the fireplace so the idea was as he was materializing she was coming out too yeah, after she, him yeah after he materialized she would she would come out and she'd come out of like the fireplace and charge him and then when she got to him they'd both disappear so that was kind of the end of the illusion which this sounds really cool it sounds like something that they could add off to the side somewhere and just have you walk into it like i actually would really enjoy seeing this happen two minutes worth of your time and fill a room and it would almost be like the stretching room i mean how long is that yeah that's a couple minutes and i think i want i wonder if this is where we get the sea captain in the queue because there is in the in the queue at Walt Disney World, oh. they have that guy, and it's you know he's in brine now or something like that, and sometimes oh. he sneezes and water shoots at you. So it's a much more comical way, but I wonder if that's kind oh. of a nod to these original designs by Rolly and Yale that they were going to have the sea captain in there. So you know, modern day Imagineers kind of threw that in there because obviously the the queue of Haunted Mansion pays a lot of respect to a lot of the Imagineers that worked on it in the headstones and things like that. So I wonder if that kind of ties into that. But yeah, so really, really interesting um, stuff with the Haunted Mansion. And speaking of that, his headstone on the Haunted Mansion, because a lot of the, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of the Imagineers, they got headstones, even if they were still alive. His says, while brother Roland here reposes his soul above one supposes. So... I mean, even they, that's actually super nice. <laughs> I didn't even really think about that. But yeah, it's, it kind of speaks to, you know, what a what a great soul he was. Yeah. So some of the other attractions that he worked on, the other big one that he was heavily involved in was the Enchanted Tiki Room. Uh, I watched a, a video tiki, 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 from, it was on the, I think, Disney Parks blog from a few years ago where they interviewed him some anniversary of the Tiki Room. I forget what anniversary, what year it was, but he talked about... Again, the original idea was it was going to be a restaurant. And Walt said, you can't have a restaurant with birds in it. They're going to poop all over the food. And they said, no, no, no. These are going to be animatronic birds. They're not going to be real birds. And once they started designing it, Walt said, this is too good. We can't make it a restaurant. It has to be an attraction. We have to get more people through this. This is too good to just use as a restaurant. And that's how it became the attraction. But Rolly, he was the one that designed all of the tiki's. He said he he hand carved about seventy percent of the tiki's That's in the crazy. tiki room, and I think a lot of them are still on display now. So that style and design 
is all Roly Crump. And something, you know, things like Trader Sam's that came after are heavily inspired by his designs of tiki's and tiki culture. So uh, pretty interesting. The other thing he worked on in the tiki room was the fountain in the middle and the bird mobile. Again. So that's that's with the, all the ladybirds, all of the, yeah. uh, the cockatoos. And again, he was very into mobiles and propellers and things like that. So it makes sense. He designed the bird mobile there. Right. So this this is this is offset. I wonder if he has children. I, I assume he did. Yeah, actually, I believe his son is an Imagineer still or was, but he he worked for Disney as well. Because I was gonna say, like, he would probably make really great baby mobiles. You know, oh yeah. For for that. Because I mean, can you imagine like what if what if the chandelier in their house was just like a big That's mobile a- with like cool stuff on it. It could be because the other thing he did. So in the 1964 World's Fair, he made the uh, famous Tower of the Four Winds, which was this giant tower mobile that was outside of It's a Small World. And so he helped design that. And then whenever Small World came to Disneyland, he created the clock. So that iconic facade and clock that Crazy. every 15 minutes chimes and, and all, all of that movement happens, that is Rolly Crump. And if you think about it, it is a mobile. Like it turns yeah. and there's things coming out. It's, it's mind-blowing, actually, when you think about it. Some of the most iconic things in Disney Park, Small World, which the, the clock of Small World is extremely iconic everybody knows that the tiki room all the tiki's the birdmobile and then just the haunted mansion his dna is kind of all over that so three classic attractions um three major attractions that again every disney fan i think knows um are a direct result of roly crump's work on those which is is pretty amazing and, and again i didn't realize he did all of that i knew he worked on the haunted mansion i didn't realize he carved a lot of the tiki's i didn't realize he did the facade for small world so pretty amazing just to think about that yeah absolutely i mean the tiki room and the haunted mansion are my two must go to rides in the magic kingdom just because i really appreciate the history behind them i think that there's so many so much detail in them the song the tiki room song is so catchy um the i love the fact that you can hear the animatronics like how old those animatronics are you can hear, the, you can hear their beaks like clicking or, or the or the like hydraulics yeah moving their like their eyes or their mouths yeah because I, I mean i think it's yeah a lot of the original stuff still yeah i mean like there's just kind of a little bit of an appreciation for what they made happen and and then you can kind of almost it's almost like a time machine like you go back there and then you imagine okay like nowadays this this ride is maybe a little bit dated and it could be a little bit more fluid but imagine being back there when this first appeared and how absolutely mind-blowing this would be well again i think it goes back to walt's point is it's too amazing to be a restaurant like this is this is too good i think the other thing that's that's crazy to think about is is yeah when this first opened the original tiki room the fact that he's hand carving those tiki's i mean the fact that he had to make all of them you know and it's not something that's mass produced in a factory where i feel like now it's it's probably more you know it's more of a of a production that somebody's yeah somebody's got to make a model but you know from there it's either 3d printed something like that but that he's he's hand carving this stuff and you have to you know kind of keep in mind that we live in the age of the internet so this this all existed before the age of the internet so Nowadays, we can go online and we could see 50,000 really awesome exotic locations. We can see all of these really crazy birds if you look them up. But back then, in order to see these things, you'd either have to go there or you would have to maybe go to a zoo and maybe you could be exposed to some of these animals, but not within their natural habitat because it wasn't really 
a normal thing for them to keep them in things that weren't just like little stone cages. I mean, that's more of a newer age thing that these animals have big enclosures that are more like their natural environments. So this really would have been just a completely immersive world for anybody stepping into it. So that's why I think it's, it is like very much like a time machine and you have to imagine those people walking in would be just completely struck and consumed with wonder. And I think that's why particularly the Tiki room, at least to me is so fantastic. And then the song. Oh yeah. The song is extremely catchy. I mean, I lo- love the Tiki room. Some of the other stuff, just kind of wrapping up what he worked on at Disney. And again, he had some periods where he left Disney and came back, but he helped with some of the initial designs for the magic kingdom. Um, one of the things he came back with to work on Epcot. And then he came back in the nineties as part of the redesign of Epcot. But he worked on my favorite place in Epcot, the land pavilion. <laughs> he was the, the project designer for the land and the wonders of life pavilion, which had a giant mobile that, Uh, He built. So again, kind of putting his stamp on it for what he was known for. Uh, And then when he came back in the 90s, he was the executive designer for redesigning and refurbishing the land pavilion and interventions at Epcot. So uh, a major impact on Epcot. I was looking to see if he like had any specific hand in living with the land. I couldn't necessarily (laughs) find that, but I imagine the fact that, you know, he worked on the land pavilion and he was a a project designer and executive designer on that, that he obviously had some hand in it. Um, So I, I think that that's pretty cool as well. But then he officially retired um, from the Walt Disney company in 1996 and he became a Disney legend in 2004 And then, so some of the other stuff he worked on outside of Disney, so on kind of those periods when he wasn't with Disney, he was out on his own, he created his own company. Uh, He worked on uh, Bush Gardens, he worked on the ABC Wildlife Preserve in Maryland, which is now Six Flags America, which that was basically kind of like Animal Kingdom before Animal Kingdom, where it was this like open safari type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he helped work on that. And then the other thing I think he's probably most famous for outside of Disney is over at Knott's Berry Farm. He worked on the original Knott's Berry Tales, um, which this is opened in the 70s. And it was a dark ride at Knott's Berry Farm with anthropomorphic animals that were going to a boysenberry festival. And so you got on uh, cars and you went through different areas of the forest and there were bears and then there were frogs. And, and it basically kind of the- sounds to me like a like a splash mountain sort of ordeal where you have you're going slowly through a ride where you have all of these animal animatronics yeah exactly and and the idea was again they were going all to this festival and then there was a character crafty coyote who was trying to steal all of the boysenberry pies so he was kind of the villain who would pop through here and, and then you would see, again, kind of just all these different animals and their habitats. They were all anthropomorphic animals. And at the end, it ended with this boysenberry festival. Um, but it was apparently a very popular attraction over at Knott's Berry Farms. You ever eaten a boysenberry before? No, never. I've never even seen one before. But that's big. I mean, Knott, Knott's Berry Farm has their boysenberry festival every year. I think where it's actually... Where is this? I don't even know California. Where no- it's in Cal... Okay. Yeah, actually... Because there's all these berries that exist that, like... Yeah. You know, like, I feel like there may be West Coast berries that I hear people talking about. And I'm like... One, do they not travel well? Because we, I've never tasted like elderberry. There's several several kinds of berries. I know this is a very big tangent, but boysenberries. I've heard this before. Never tasted one. Let us know what a boysenberry tastes like. I actually think the boysenberry festival is going on right now over really? at Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah, I think I believe it is happening right now. 
that was kind of the other big attraction that he worked on outside of Disney that, that he was known for, um, the, the original Barry Tales in the 70s, which, again, I think was pretty revolutionary with all the animatronics and the ride system for the 70s in terms of themed entertainment. So just a pretty impressive life uh, for everything he did and kind of all the contributions he made. Yeah, and if you're interested in learning more, which I, I found out that he has an autobiography called It's Kind of a Cute Story, which I love the word cute. Um, so I think that it, if you want to learn more about Rolly Crump, I think that this would probably be a fantastic place. And I know that I think some of the quotes that we got were also pulled from the book as well. But something that just kind of comes to mind when we're talking about him is just the word legacy. I mean, if you think about he left behind such a legacy and people are able to go to the parks every day and appreciate some of the things that he was able to bring to life and imagine. And that is such a profound thing to, you know, kind of end your life and, and have that. I'm surprisingly getting choked up. Yeah, it is um, amazing to your point. I mean, the, the millions, I think the millions and millions of, families and children that enjoy things he worked on but i think even more so that inspire that next generation and generations after to continue that work i mean how many imagineers who are working today were inspired by the designs he did on the haunted mansion and it's a small world and that's why they work in themed entertainment that's why they work in imagineering because they want to make attractions that are that iconic that inspire the next generation to do more it, it is uh, extremely impressive so you know again very unfortunate that we lost Rolly crump this past week um, but again his contributions will live on uh, forever in the disney parks and in all the other parks that he worked on so that wraps up the show for this week I want to thank everybody again for listening if you've not done so please leave us a rating or a review subscribe wherever you get your podcast it really helps and we really appreciate it thanks for lending us your ears have a great week everybody we'll see you here next monday Bye bye